Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Well, with Russia, oil exports banned from the U.S., gas prices are rising. And the question now is, do we plow ahead towards this green and more oil here at home? Uh, Mark Mills from the Manhattan Institute uh, had a great piece out about the reality of our energy capabilities and the potential for a real policy reset when it comes to energy. And Mark joins us on the line now. Mark, thanks for uh, coming on on a Friday. Oh. All right. Uh, Mark joins us now. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, you had a great piece, uh, really talking about a uh, great energy reset uh, moment. Uh, and so for our listeners, just break it down a little bit in terms of kind of this capacity. We've, we've sort of had this scarcity mentality and, and uh, kind of functioning from a position of weakness as we've looked at uh, the transitions and, and how we should be approaching energy from traditional oil and gas to green energy. Uh, what's the right framing that we should have as it relates to that? Well, I guess we'd have to have framing based on reality. would be nice. <laughs> That's a good... So, we're, we're, we're pro-reality good, here, just so you know. <laughs> uh, it's a good, it's a good, well, good. It's a good start. Well, first, we should uh, calibrate with two facts, which would be helpful. Some people know this. They can use the magic, you know, Dr. Google machine to look up basic facts. But the uh, European uh, nations broadly are profoundly dependent on Russian oil and gas, which everybody's rediscovered. Uh, Europe at large gets about 40% of its gas from Russia. Germany gets 70%. And, and Europe gets about 25% of its oil from Russia and Germany 45%. Now, this is after... Those, that, those nations have spent the last two decades furiously spending trillions of dollars, and I mean literally trillions of dollars, building alternatives to oil and gas in the form of you know, windmills and solar arrays and that kind of thing. And they, they are still profoundly dependent on not just oil and gas, but on Russian oil and gas. So, so another fact point just to have, I guess, to answer your question is the world gets 86% of all of its energy from oil, gas, and coal 20 years ago. Now it's all the way down to 84%. I'm being facetious. It's a 2 percentage point decline wow. after 20 years and trillions of dollars spent on alternatives to oil, gas, and coal. So that's where the world is. We're, we need lots of oil, gas, and coal. The Euro Europeans are profoundly dependent on Russia. We are not. We get very little oil, gas from Russia. Some is why it's easy to ban it. So that's a long way of saying 
realism would suggest not opposing wind and solar. It's perfectly fine up to a point. But we have to recognize the world is fueled by hydrocarbons and we are now held hostage both in physical real terms mm. and in price terms to people who aren't our friends. It's not a good plan. Yeah. Uh, and that's I think that's so important to, when because we think of all that has been invested, all the money has been thrown at a lot of these technologies. Uh, and if we've only reduced our use uh, of those by two percent, uh, that's that's a pretty stunning reality in terms of what that possible return on investment. Don't know if you get calculated that would be so small. Uh, and again, not to say that we shouldn't do those things. Of course, we can we can explore all of that. One of the things that you raised that I think is a key takeaway uh, has to do with American shale production. And uh, give, yeah. give our listeners a little bit of insight there. Well, so the, if the question would be, what should we do now about entanglement with Russian oil and gas? And the answer is produce more American oil and gas. <laughs> it's not <laughs> complicated. But it, it, it's not a switch you can turn on and off. Right. You have to have an environment in which producers feel like if they make investments, they're not going to be told, oh, well, we changed our mind. We're going to ban the pipeline now. We'll ban the export port or increase your, your costs. Or, well, you know, these are not, these are not, we're not in a conducive environment. But it, here's the encouraging thing is over a period of about 15 years, the past 15 years, American increase in production of oil and gas, and this was done not not with encouragement by government, but despite government, I guess you could say, is the largest increase in energy supply of any kind the world has ever seen. Mm. I mean, it's an astonishing increase in energy supply. The world's, the world's energy supply has not had such a profound change in a century. And it's all because of the shale gas and shale oil revolution. I'll put it in relative terms. In America, the increased production of oil and gas from the shale fields, the entrepreneurs that do that, is roughly five, six hundred percent more energy has been added to America than all of the wind and solar plants have been added to America over that time by subsidies. Mm. It's a profound difference. If we want more oil and gas in the future, we, we, we can get more. It won't, it, unfortunately, it's not something you can simply exhort oil companies that they should produce it. I mean, at these prices, you'd think, I mean, prices are elevated. They're elevated because of markets being worried that there won't be enough supply. Uh, American production is increasing slightly. But if you, if it was your money on the line, taking the risk, putting more capital you know, into play, you'd be very concerned that the government would... Uh, would punish you, not reward you. Mm. So you could imagine the caution right now. Yeah, uh, that, that's such an important uh, component to it. Of, of yeah, if we're going to invest, <laughs> uh, I don't want the threat of the government, you know, powering it down or cutting it off or uh, uh, making it more difficult. And and we've seen a lot of that uh, just historically. Uh, y- you make the point uh, that we need to not just be energy independent, but we should really be energy dominant. Um, and yes. that, that that gives us a lot more uh, operating room to actually get where we want to go. Well, it's sort of becoming uh, uh, a, a touchstone phrase in the post-Trump era, of course. But I, I guess I could, I guess I could brag, but I, I should like to point out at least that the idea of energy dominance instead of energy independence is something I put into play in testimony before the U.S. Senate several years before uh, Trump became president where I, I was just proposing the obvious. When it comes to soft power and negotiating things in the world, in the world as it is, and it really is, 
you don't want to be independent. We can't be independent. Mm. We, we, we trade. Yeah. Oil prices are set globally. So even if we were, quote, independent, we would still have oil prices. Uh, and we are basically fundamentally uh, independent in the sense that we produce more than we need. But when you go to a negotiating table, really, and you don't have to brag about it, it doesn't have to be pugilistic, you want to be in a position of dominance when you start a negotiation, whatever the negotiation is. Right. And so America... America is in a better place to use soft power if we are the dominant producer of energy the world needs. Mm. Such great insight. Uh, Mark Mills, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, uh, a great piece, uh, helping us all to just think again about where we are in this whole energy discussion. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on. It's uh, We're in a terrible pickle right now. This I'm not going to solve it very quickly, I'm afraid. But yeah, thank you. but this thinking is uh, is exactly the kind of thinking we have to get to. We we, we got to quit going back to the same either-or, fake-fight, false-choice stuff when it comes to energy. And Mark laid it out very powerfully today in terms of we can do that. Uh, and a lot of what we've been pouring money into is not giving us a return and is not making us very independent either. That wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Much more to come in hour number two. Stay with us on a Friday here on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. Live breaking news now on the mobile app for KSL News Radio. Sponsored by Any Hour Services. Listen at home or anywhere you go. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. This is Utah's news station. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.